Did you know that there's a wrong way to pray? What if I told you there's a kind of prayer that God won't answer? And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians making one of these detrimental mistakes in their prayer life. Let's look at what scripture actually has to say about how not to pray. Hey, this is week five or episode five, all about prayer. And this series is um, called How to Pray. And so today what we're going to learn about is how not to pray. And I know that sounds like a weird way to frame up this passage and this message, but a lot of the times uh, as, as, as human beings, we glean information and we understand things not just by being taught how to do things properly, but by being taught how not to do things so we know what to avoid. And so we've already established what prayer is. We've defined prayer biblically. And as accurately as we possibly can, prayer is, and if you didn't already have this written down somewhere, now you can write it down, prayer is talking to God with intention, with purpose, as his own beloved child, and according to his word. And I'll say that again for people who are, you know, first-time watchers. Prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose, as his beloved child, and according to his word. So we've talked about what prayer is, we've talked about what prayer is not, we've talked about why we should pray. In fact, we spent the last three weeks talking about why we should pray. What's the motivation? What's the heart? What's the reasoning? What's going to get me in the prayer closet to spend more time with the Father? And the big, um, I guess, overarching reason for why we should pray is that God allows prayer to be the method of causing things in our life, in our world, in our culture, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities. And this doesn't mean that prayer is the driving force or the, the, the causal factor behind everything. This just means that there's a lot that God intends to do that he's ordained sovereignly. Prayer is going to be the method by which those things come to pass. And so prayer is simply partnering with God, coming into relationship to, to spend time with him, to invest into our friendship. Prayer is seeking and petitioning and asking, and we'll get to those things. But if you can learn how we should not pray, like if you can have... Uh, an accurate understanding of what it looks like to not pray, then you'll better know how to actually pray. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 6. Um, but before I do that, let me just show you from the text of Scripture, because there's some people who will come on here and they'll say, well, buddy, you can't put restrictions on how people should relate with God. And I'm not. God is the one who has given us guidelines for how to interact with Him. God is the one who has given us clear guidelines and instructions for how we should approach him, for how we should communicate with him, for how we should invest into our relationship and, and develop that friendship we have with him. God is the one who has put those guidelines in place, not me. So all I'm doing is saying God has actually told us in scripture that there is a right way to pray and there is a wrong way to pray. From the mouth of Jesus himself, he's going to say, don't pray like A, B, and C. Don't pray like X, Y, and Z. He's going to say that. So therefore, we can't just approach, you know, the scriptures and our relationship with God with this purely organic, naturalistic perspective where it's like God is going to relate with me however I desire for him to relate with me. I'm going to talk to him however I want. I got to be transparent. I got to be genuine. In the name of being genuine, that doesn't mean we just uh, not consider what God has or what God says about praying. Let me say that again because that came out kind of funky. Um, a lot of people want to pray, and there's a, this, is very, this is a very good heart to have. They want to pray with a genuine heart. They want to be honest and transparent and real when they approach God. And they so emphasize that aspect of prayer 
that they totally ignore the fact that God has prescribed a way we should pray. He's prescribed the way we should approach him. He's prescribed to us what it looks like to pray effectively. And then people look at those things and go, nah, God's going to let me talk to him however I want because he wants me to approach him genuinely and transparently and, and as naturally as he's designed me to approach him. Well, James chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that there is actually a wrong way to pray. James says, you know, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You know what? What is the way in which people ask God for things? That's called prayer. That's called petitioning. Prayer is a way in which, not only prayer is, but a way in which we ask God for things is called prayer. We ask wrongly. Some people do. And that's why he's saying some of you are asking and you're not receiving because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, you can even ask for the right things with the wrong heart and the wrong motives and you are praying wrong. James is, I think, piggybacking off what Matthew chapter 6 is going to teach us about prayer. But let me give you a few more things to think about. As we approach Matthew chapter 6, I'll give you the context when we get there. But in Psalm chapter 109 verse 7, uh, there is this concept in the Old Testament which rings true in the new, that some prayer is actually counted as abominable, abomination. Uh, Psalm 109.7 says, referring to the guilty, the unrighteous, the wicked, the accuser, you know, when he's tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. And then you go, well, this is just the psalmist uh, almost requesting that God would consider the prayer of the wicked as sinful. This doesn't mean God actually does that. Well, in Proverbs 28 verse 9, it says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Even his prayer is an abomination. In John chapter 8, Jesus is going to encounter, I forget if it's the paralytic or the blind man, but I, I believe it's the blind man. Could be wrong. Correct me on that. Or it's John 9, I forget. But either way, there's this, there's this thing that the blind man or paralytic man, after getting healed, he's approached by the Pharisees. And they say, uh, you know, this man that healed you shouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath. He's wicked. He's breaking our tradition. And they're getting all fussy. And the guy who's healed, he goes, well, I don't know if he's a sinner. Because we know that God doesn't listen to the prayers of sinners. Like, that's just an understood fact in Hebrew culture based on their understanding of the Bible and their Hebrew scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 28.9 seems to reinforce that, that there is such a, a concept as not all prayer is acceptable to God. Not all prayer is considered uh, welcome and is something he regards. Some prayer is actually regarded as an abomination at certain times, depending on the person and the situation. Um, Isaiah 45.20 just so you guys know, um, God is not always the object of prayer for every human being. There are people all around the world that pray to idols, that pray to false gods, that pray to demonic spirits, that pray to inanimate objects. Isaiah 45.20 talks about this. It says, Assemble yourselves and come draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols, and they keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Is God going to regard a prayer that is not made to him? No, it's an abomination. That's a prayer that he won't regard. He doesn't consider. He's not going to accept because it's not even directed to him. It's actually to the neglect of him. 
It's actually dishonoring him by praying to something else as if that's God. You know, we can go passage after passage, but by the time we get to Matthew 6, I'm just trying to give you a category for, yeah, not all prayer is actually regarded and considered by God or even accepted by him. And when you can actually, when you live like that, you're more serious about your prayer life. You're more considerate and thoughtful and self-reflective on the way you're approaching God and what you're praying. So I would encourage you guys to be a little more uh, introspective, a little more self-reflective when you approach God in prayer, when you consider your motives and your heart. Don't overanalyze. Don't fall into the paralysis of overanalysis where you do nothing because you're so afraid of messing up. But just just be considerate of your own heart, of your own life as you approach God and what you're saying and, and your mentality and your perspective and, and all those things. So when we get to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is explaining in the Sermon on the Mount, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about how the hypocrites, they do three religious activities with the wrong heart the wrong way. He says they give, they pray, and they fast. They're doing religious things. They look spiritual. They're doing the right things from the perspective of the world, from the typical Jewish person going, wow, or from the typical Hebrew looking at the Pharisees going, wow, they're so spiritual. They're so, wow, they're so amazing. They're doing the right things, but with the wrong heart. And Jesus actually says it's actually the wrong way. They might as well not be doing it. They might as well not be giving or praying or fasting because they're just after human rewards. They're after temporary human, um, you know, accomplishments and, and praise and applause and, um, you know, all the things and the approval of men. That's all they want. So by the time we get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, we've already, Jesus has already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, don't give like the Pharisees and the hypocrites. They make a public spectacle of themselves. Now he's going to bring, take that same framework he used for giving, and he's going to apply that to praying. Then he's going to apply that to fasting, which prayer and fasting go together. But listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, which by the way, it seems to be an expectation. It just seems to be understood. Like, yeah, you're going to pray. <laughs> when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Okay, what about the hypocrites should I be uh, protecting myself against and guarding myself against and making sure I don't do? Well, he says four because here's why. The hypocrites, they love. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Do you know what they love more than God? They love the approval and the applause of people. They love people, uh, you know, cheering for them and thinking much of them and regarding high. In other words, they are so obsessed with the opinion of man, they've begun to completely neglect the opinion and the approval of God in their giving, in their praying, in their fasting. The hypocrites, the reason they make a public spectacle of themselves as you enter into chapter seven is because at the end of the day, they love money. They serve money. They worship money. And if they can get more people to approve of what they're doing, if they can get more people to like them and cheer and have all the applause of the, of the Hebrew people in Jerusalem, that means more money in their pockets because they serve money, not God. So we know that the hypocrites, per the words of Jesus, they pray to impress people. 
And Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, essentially, don't pray to be seen by others. Don't pray to put on the spiritual pretense. Don't pray to garner the attention and the applause of people. Don't pray to impress those who are listening. All these different ways of saying, don't pray in such a way where you're concerned with people's opinions and you're ignoring and neglecting God's. Don't pray in such a way where what you're saying, you're choosing your words based on who's listening or you use certain lingo and certain language based on who's around and, and based on who's going to you know, uh, approve of what you're doing. Forget what people have to say about your prayer. You ain't praying to them. And, you know, this is more addressing the public aspect of prayer. You know, Jesus is not going to say public prayer in and of itself is an inherently bad thing. It's not what he says. He says there's a kind of public prayer that you need to be on guard against and make sure you don't fall into it. It's the kind of prayer where in public, whether leading Bible study or leading a voice chat prayer or, or you're with a few people or you're at the mall and God leads you to pray, be very careful not to pray in such a way where you're just trying to impress people and it's not even praying to God anymore. You're praying to people. This is what I'm trying to get you to avoid. Don't let yourself become distracted by the opinion of man. Don't let your mind wander into the realm of, well, I wonder if they're thinking this about what I'm praying and, and if what I say here would really get them to think I'm spiritual. Don't even consider those things when it comes to you talking to the Father. And yet... I need to drink this because I didn't just grab it to grab it. And yet this is the story of so many of our experiences with prayer in public. Public prayer is fine. And he's going to address verse 6 and 7, what it looks like. Don't get wrapped up in the public dimension of prayer. Meaning if you're going to pray in public, pray as if you're in private. And it's just you and God where you picture yourself approaching the Father and all you care about is the one who sits on the throne who can do something about what you're praying about. And you're face to face with Him and even if the world is watching, it doesn't matter because you just want His attention. You just want His approval. You just want Him to actually come through and answer whatever request you have. So Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They've already gotten what their heart wants. The approval of man, impressing people to be seen, and the applause, of, they've gotten their reward. They settle for what man can give. And prayer is not a means to gain worldly possessions or worldly riches. Or Prayer is not a means, uh, a means to self-gain or a means to self-profit or a means to garnishing attention for myself. A lot of people treat prayer, especially in the public sphere, when, when you know, on Sundays or Saturday, wherever you meet, you know, it's time to pray. In mid-service, we had two worship songs, so now it's time to have an elder come up. It's so easy to let the flesh creep in. And now, this sweet time where it's supposed to be you approaching the Father, it's now... I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder if they'll like this. I wonder how I look. I wonder if I'm stuttering. And you get so in your head, you can't even talk to God anymore because you're so busy projecting thoughts on other people, thinking you know what they're thinking about your prayers, and you don't. These people, they settle for what man can give. They settle for worldly gain. 
And prayer is just a means to worldly gain, self-profit. And you have to ask yourself, do I pray with that kind of heart? Where my prayer, forget the whole public aspect, just prayer in general. Do I view prayer as just a means for worldly gain? As just a means for my needs to be met? As just a means for me to have what I really want and accumulate worldly treasures and possessions and, and gain more influence and gain more traction in my career and, and explode my business? Is, is, is prayer just a means by which you intend to take steps forward in the worldly sense of ma- making progress? Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But, now watch, he says, but, instead of doing that, here's a different way to pray. Here's the contrasted way to pray. That is contrasted with this example of the hypocrites. When you pray, go into your room. And a lot of people take this to mean Jesus only values and accepts private prayer. That's not what he's saying. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who prays in secret will reward you. And you go, how do you know Jesus is not against public prayer? Because he prays in public all the time. And he has a private prayer life as well. The problem is, when you pray in such a way where it's only when certain people are around, or it's only when you're in certain environments, or it's only when you're in a church atmosphere, and, it's, and there are religious people around that you want to impress and show them that you know the Bible, when you only pray based on your environment and who's around, you're not praying with the right heart. If you don't have a private prayer life, and you only pray in public realms, or if you only have... Um, a private prayer life and you never pray around other people. I think there there seems to be an imbalance. It's both. I should pray with people and for people, but also behind the scenes when no one's looking. And if I only have a public prayer life, that shows that I'm not as authentic as I'd like to portray myself to be. Go into your room and shut the door. Jesus is all about, here's the, here's the issue at hand. Secrecy and the attention of the Father seem to be key elements in what kind of prayer Jesus is promoting. He's saying, pray to your father. Those people, the hypocrites who make a public spectacle, break out the trumpets and be like, whoa, time to pray, everyone. They are not concerned with the attention of God. They don't care about his approval. They don't care about his opinion. They don't care about having a secret private prayer life where just the father sees them because that doesn't get them more money. That doesn't get them more success and more... Uh, validation from people. It doesn't get them what they really are after, you know. So when you pray, it goes like this. Don't pray to impress people. Don't pretend to be spiritual. Don't put on a face. Don't try new words out. Don't exercise and flex your biblical knowledge and big old hermeneutical words. Just pray the way you talk to God in private. And that's easier said than done because a lot of us I've just been raised in this culture to obsess about what people think about what you're saying and doing. And we just live in our heads all day, can't even enjoy life, can't even enjoy prayer. Luke 18.10, Jesus gives a parable. And again, this is not just don't pray to impress people, it's don't pray solely for worldly gain, as a means for worldly progress and success. So Jesus gives this parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves okay that they were righteous so what does it mean that they trust in themselves 
they have self-righteousness. And they treated others with contempt. Self-righteousness will always belittle other people. That's a sign that you are self-righteous in some, in some sense. Is that you look down on others, judge others as if to be better and superior and just overall, you know, more valuable than other people. And you look down with contempt. That is never, ever a justifiable perspective to have. There's no, there's no way to excuse that. That actually is an indication you have some self-righteousness that needs to be dealt with. And I have the same thing, man. So watch this. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, okay, trusted in themselves. The other was a tax collector. The least you'd expect Jesus to use as the hero in this parable. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Oh, God, thank you I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector, like, bro, you're saying that right in front of him? He's, he can hear you. He's in earshot. I fast twice a week. Notice how this Pharisee, he's using prayer as a way to bring God his resume and list his credentials and tell God why he's so awesome. If you'd use prayer like that, fix that real fast. I fast twice a week. Prayer is not a way for you to put yourself on display to impress God. Prayer is not a way for, this is not, a, this is not American Idol. He's not judging you based on your credentials that you bring him in prayer and going, all right, show me what you got this week. Well, here's everything I did, God. Here's my resume. That's a terrible way to use. That's a terrible reason to pray. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, notice he dare not approach or presume to come near to God knowing his own sinfulness. There's a humility. There's an admission of sin. There's already a recognition of, of, of guilt and conviction. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't use prayer as a means or as a way to flex your own spirituality and bring your credentials to God to try and impress Him. Some of us do that. Or we, as we're talking to God, we kind of run out of things to say or maybe we're insecure or maybe we're unsure if we can be here and we, we feel like, I don't deserve to be here so I need to, I need to reach into my pocket, see what I can pull out from this week's you know, performance report and see what I can bring God to hopefully give me a sense of confidence to be here in my prayer time. It's a terrible way to pray. Don't do that. I'm not condemning people who, who do that. I'm trying to call you to something higher and better. Prayer was never to be that. Prayer was Humility is what he actually tells you to have. Not flexing. Not your resume. It's not about what you can bring. It's about what he's allowed, what he's done through his son for you to be there. Now we get to verse 7. Not only are the hypocrites a bad role model for prayer, but the Gentiles also, being the unbelieving pagans in the surrounding nations. It says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
What do you mean empty phrases? He'll probably explain that. I think he does pretty well. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Now, this is kind of like what we saw in Luke 18. They supposed themselves to be righteous. They trusted in themselves. In other words, they approach God in prayer on the basis of their own performance. They approach God in prayer on the basis of their own religious activity and spiritual things they've done. It's terrible. And in the same way, with the Gentiles approaching their false god, their idols in prayer, on the basis of how much they can repeat something or the words they use, there are many words. There are many words. I believe that in the New King James, it says vain repetition. That they're actually engaging in what's called vain repetition. Their prayers are so overly repetitive. And this is what people ask me. They go, you know, you mentioned the fact that we shouldn't be overly repetitive in prayer, but God tells us to be persistent and to continue praying until we get an answer, right? So how do you balance that? How do you continue in persistence and continue approaching the throne of God till you get an answer without being overly repetitive and, and heaping up empty phrases and thinking that he's going to hear me because I'm saying it a lot? How do we balance that? And I think the answer is this. Verse 8 actually gives us an indication of where these pagans are at, spiritually, faith-wise. He says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. What is uniquely different from the believing Jew versus the unbelieving pagan Gentile that worships a false god? What's the difference between the two? Well, one of the key differences is that the believing Jewish individual has a god that they know exists, that for sure has their back and they can be confident is actually listening because they have a relationship with him. Number one, he exists. Number two, he's very relational and he invests into the lives of his people and he's aware and he's, he's all these things. In other words, they have confidence that they have a father who has their back. The Gentile, the unbelieving pagans that worship false gods, they don't have that assurance. They don't have that security. They don't have that confidence when they approach their God in prayer. So what do they do? Because they're insecure, because they're fearful, because their God doesn't even exist, so they have to overcompensate for that, they try and get a sense of security and assurance from saying things over and over and over. It's the idea of, of the, um, uh, the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel, right, with the whole showdown between God and Baal on Mount Carmel. And you have Elijah on the side of God, and then you have the the, the pagan priests on the side of Baal. And they're trying to call down fire and get their God's attention. And they start chanting uh, mindlessly, recklessly, cutting themselves open, freaking out, trying to get their God's attention by being louder. So they think their volume is what will get their God's attention. Then they, they, they engage in these, these, these chants, these, these ritual chants that they think this will get our God's attention. None of it works. Number one, that God doesn't exist. Number two, even if it were to the real God, even if God was the object of their prayer, they're trusting in the repetition of whatever chance, religious ritual chance they're engaging in. Some of us treat prayer like it's a ritual. We've been taught certain prayers, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. Some of you could finish that. 
or we just have been trained by our Baptist father, preacher, that every time we approach a meal, God, thank you for this food. And we've just been trained. It's been taught to us. Nothing bad about that. But we mindlessly regurgitate prayers that we've learned from other people to where it's not even, we don't even mean those things. We're just mindlessly, I hate to use the, the Hail Mary kind of prayers to be an example of this, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. It is a set of words that you are trusting in to accomplish something rather than trusting in God to answer your request. You put all your trust and confidence in how well you can articulate your prayers or in how expressive you are and how loud you are or you trust in how much you repeat yourself and you think the more I repeat myself, the more likely this is going to get God's attention to answer. The more I sit here in prayer and just mindlessly repeat this prayer, it's going to get his attention. It's not. That is a very Gentile, pagan, uh, ritualistic uh, way of approaching the living God that is wrong. Kenan, thank you, brother, for that. Good to see you. You didn't have to do that. Thank you guys for your gifts today. But this is how so many people approach prayer. And I'm trying to break off a lot of what new age has leaked into Christianity. I'm trying to break that off you and help you recognize how you've allowed new age spirituality to influence the way you approach God. And you're not even aware of it. It's in the shows you watch. It's in the music you listen to. It's in the people you listen to and watch and, and hang out with it. It's in the TikToks you're scrolling through. It's in the video games you play. We are trained by the culture to approach God and think about him wrongly. And the Gentiles, what they do is they heap up empty phrases, vain repetition. They treat prayer like it's an incantation, like they're witches casting spells. And if they say it just right with the right inflection and they rhyme it at the right time, it'll accomplish the right results. And some of us approach prayer very superstitiously. We approach prayer very religiously in, re- in, this, in, this, in this negative sense where we pray with this overly repetitious kind of word mashup, right? And we don't even know what we're saying. We don't even mean what we're saying. And we're thinking, as long as I just keep saying this, it's going to yield the results I want. That's not how prayer works. Unlike the pagan Gentiles who pray to false gods, we don't need to mindlessly repeat ourselves to get God's attention. Now, here's the difference between that kind of prayer and the actual prayer of persistence that God calls us to. Thank you, Prasanthi. You didn't need to do that. You guys are just gifting this live stream. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Um, We should know how to discern between the two. So the question becomes, when am I appropriately being persistent in prayer? And when am I overly repeating myself to the point where I'm now like the pagans, just mindlessly, superstitiously repeating and chanting these, thing, these prayers like they're incantations or spells. And I think you have to think about, or here's what I would say. Take a step back and really evaluate how you think about what you're saying. And are you at all thinking that the more I repeat myself, the more likely it is that God's going to listen, the more likely it is that he's going to lend me his ear and actually act, Right. That's very different, and I don't think that's the right mentality to have. That's very different than the way children of God should approach their father in prayer with persistence. 
where we go, I haven't gotten an answer yet. So I know I've been praying this for the last 30 days, but I'm going to pray again today. I'm going to pray it once. Leave it at your feet. Trust that you heard me. Trust that you'll act according to your will. Trust that you see things I don't. And I'll pray it. Like if I'm, let's say I'm in need. I'm praying and pleading with the Lord for a job. It's been four months. It's been eight months. It's however long, okay? And I'm going, Lord, I've been asking you every day. Just because he hasn't answered yet doesn't mean I should stop praying. I should pray persistently and consistently until I at least get a no or until I at least get a not yet. And I go, okay, but I'm going to keep asking until you actually do it since I know it's going to happen. That kind of persistence and consistency in prayer, I believe, is biblical. Where And it's not about the time frame or the duration between prayers. It's more about... Uh, Number one, do you mean what you're saying? Number two, is all of your confidence and all of your trust in your own words or is it in God? And I haven't really fleshed this out myself, but I'm wondering like how we can learn to discern between the two because I, I don't want any of you leaving here going, he told me not to repeat myself, so I prayed it once eight years ago and I haven't touched it since then. No, I'm saying God calls us to pray without ceasing. That is to pray persistently and knock until you at least get an answer. A no, a not yet, a yes, whatever it may be. Silence. I'm going to keep leaning in until I until the Father answers. And I think one of the differences between the pagan prayer and the godly kind of prayer is I'm praying and I know he's listening. And I leave it at that. I trust his will. The pagan prays and they're going, I'm not even sure if he's listening. So I got to repeat myself to really be sure he caught it the first time. And of course, they're praying to a God that doesn't even exist. So how can they have an assurance he's listening when he's not there? Of course, he can, they can be self-deceived and, and you know, d- delusional. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to encourage you, don't pray superstitious incantations. That doesn't mean you can't glean wisdom from how people pray. That doesn't mean you can't pray word for word what someone else did. And you're like, that really articulates well my heart to God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that in my prayers. That doesn't mean you can't do that. What I'm saying is don't pray in such a way where you are just overly, I'll say it like this, where it's something you've memorized like you're in a wana and you're just trying to get a prize and you only memorize, you, you rehearse it over and over and over just to get that Snickers bar so you can leave and never remember it again. That's how we used to treat Bible verses in Awanas or whatever, you know, Sunday school you grew up in. There was always like a prize for a memory verse, right? And we treat prayer like that. They're like, you're like, I've memorized this prayer, so I'm going to bring it to God. It'll yield the results I want. I can kind of cash in, get what I want, and leave. The other thing, and I've said this already, their prayers are empty phrases because they mean nothing. And they don't even mean what they're saying. Christian, thank you. You guys, stop it. No more. Cutting you off. (laughs) These people are heaping up, piling up empty phrases. Because there was this common belief, again, that if they could say the same thing enough, they're more likely. And and I'll, I'll tell you, the more you say something over and over, the less weight it really carries the less you begin, you, you, you mean it less and less each time you say it. Um, at least in, in my own life, I've seen this in my own prayers where I'll say something and it'll be like the 12th time. I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I recognize like, whoa, 
why did I repeat myself so much there about something that I should trust God is involved in? I already brought it before his feet. I should have ended it there and said, I may, why am I, I, I don't even, it's almost like I went on autopilot and I wasn't even thinking about what I was saying. I just kind of was looping and, and stuck on the last prayer I made, like, Lord, please come through on our finances, come through on our finances. Then my mind starts drifting toward, you know, the homework I need to do or the, the things I need to do around the house or what my wife asked me to do earlier, but I'm still mindlessly repeating that phrase. And then I tune back in and go, whoa, I wasn't even thinking about what I was saying. I didn't even mean that. That's the kind of empty phrases I believe, you know, Jesus is, is really hitting at. Keenan, I, t- I told you no more stuff. I'm going to call you after this and really give it to you. You guys, thank you. So their prayers put more emphasis on the impressiveness, the clarity, the spirituality of the words they use. And here's the subtle danger in prayer. Okay, watch. The subtle danger is that your attention would be more on how you are articulating things and how you sound and how it's presented more than your attention is actually on God himself. The object of our prayer and the object of our faith is God. Not my own words, not my own prayers, not my own volume level, not my own repetition. Those things are a means to an end. They're a means to relate with God. He's the object of my trust and my faith, not my prayers. So I encourage you, don't put trust and stock in how well you articulate your prayers. He sees your heart. He knows what you mean. When you can't even get it across, when you just weep, he knows what your heart is really voicing through those tears. He sees it. He knows it. He catch, he, he caught it before you even knew to voice it. Keenan, kick him out of the stream, guys. <laughs> oh, Keenan, stop. Stop it. I'm going to find you. So, like I said, there are some prayers we've just, as kids, we've adopted. We've taken for ourselves, and we don't even know what we're saying because it's been so ingrained into our spiritual life that we don't recognize the fact that, hold on, I'm just regurgitating something I memorized when I was six. Do I mean this? When I say, God, thank you for this day, do I mean it? When I say, God, thank you for this meal, do I mean it? It's more about the heart and the motives, the intentions behind what you're saying. So I'm encouraging you, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans, where they treat their prayers like they're casting a spell, and they got to nail it just right or it won't yield the right results. Don't pray like the pagans, where they trust in their words and their repetition and, and their spirituality and their big vocabulary and their... Cut all that out. It's garbage. I encourage you to pray like Jesus. And we'll get to praying like Jesus. We'll get to what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but it's more appropriately, I think, we should call it the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus talks about how he need you know, forgive us our debts. Well, Jesus has no sin to be forgiven of. So this can't be his prayer. He's just voicing what the disciples should pray. But, you know, we, 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 we talked about how we shouldn't pray like the hypocrites or the pretenders. We talked about how we shouldn't pray like the pagans, the unbelievers. Now... I want to show you what we should pray like, and that is to pray like Jesus. Pray like Christ. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip these things on their heads, and I showed you how not to pray. Now I'm going to reverse those images and show you how you should pray, how you should pray. 
Christian says, let's chill with the donations for now. Only donate if the Lord leads. Hey, if the Lord is leading, I won't stop you. But it is funny. I think at this point, Keenan, you're crazy. Pray like Christ means this. If we flip the image of the pretenders, the hypocrites, um, who pray uh, in, in spiritual pretense, they're self-centered, they're about the approval of people, well, that means we're not going to do that. The way Jesus prays and the way he calls us to pray is to pray with faith and trust, not doubt. So you have to ask yourself, when everyone, everyone that prays to a higher being or a spiritual force or whatever it is that they're calling you know, their, their energy universe, okay, whenever anyone prays, they have an object of worship, an object of that prayer, the direction they're praying to. Okay. Um, you have to think about this when you pray. And I don't want you to be so overly analytical that you can't enjoy fellowship with God, but these are just things to learn to be mindful of. Learn to be mindful of these things. Think about what you're trusting in and what's motivating your confidence to approach God. Is it, and, and here's, here's what I say. Here's what I would say. When you pray, the only reason you can be there and even talk with God and have a relationship with Him and He listens is because of his grace toward us. It's it's based on who he is. It's based on his promises. It's based on his word, not my performance. And so when Jesus says things like this, we kind of we find our we find a way to match our experience with this promise and we try and find a way around this promise. Well, Jesus can't mean x y and z. There have to be some conditions that we're not seeing here. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, he doesn't qualify what the whatever is. He, he makes a general sweeping statement, whatever you ask. So he's not talking about anything in particular you're praying about. He says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. Now, if you disconnect that promise from the rest of scripture, then of course you're going to walk away discouraged because you're going to go, I've tried that. I have not seen that every single time in my life. I've believed. In fact, I've had more faith than I've ever had and it didn't happen. So either Jesus is wrong and he lied or my experiences, um, I don't know what to make of it. Heads or tail, I don't know. And we'll get to this when we talk about the conditions of answered prayers. Um, but for now, know this, Jesus really means what he's saying. And there are some things to know about prayer that Jesus assumes his, his listeners, the audience, understands about prayer. But know this, faith is appropriate to have in prayer. James will tell us that if you don't ask in faith, you might as well not even be praying. And again, there are some things that aren't explicitly stated in this promise Jesus makes. Whatever you ask, you know, believe you received it and it'll be yours. And we're like, no, my life done. No, I've prayed thousands of prayers with the kind of faith that could blow up a mountain. Nothing happened. So Jesus, you better fix that. And we get frustrated, right? There's a lot that surrounds that promise that we need to talk about in coming episodes. But for now, know this. He means what he says. That faith 
is appropriate. Faith is right. Faith is reasonable. Faith is the driving force of prayer. You got to believe that he exists. You have to believe that he rewards the faithful. You have to believe that his promises are true. And faith just, you know, closes that gap that's often left by any, you know, well, we'll get to there. We'll get there when we get there. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God. Why? Well, he gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And you go, how do we know that? Think about Solomon. What is it that Solomon asked for? Wisdom to guide and lead the nation. Did God answer that prayer? 100%. Read the Proverbs. If you want wisdom, I'll tell you this, okay? And this is going to frustrate a lot of people's theology. You can have the wisdom to navigate this world like the principles wisdom has to offer, unbelievers are applying that to their life all around the world. That's different than the spiritual wisdom that comes with inside of the gospel and the Holy Spirit within us. And so apparently, I mean, think about Solomon. God gave wisdom to a man that he knew was going to abandon him, lead the nation into idolatry and turmoil, worship false gods, take on pagan wives. Solomon did not end well. He did not end well. God didn't hold that against Solomon when he chose to answer his prayer. In other words, God wasn't looking forward. God, of course, outside of time doesn't have to look forward, but God wasn't looking at Solomon's future and going, well, Solomon, you're kind of going to be a screwball. So I don't think I'm going to answer your prayer for wisdom. God went, hey, even if even if my guy is going to make some big mistakes, right now he's asking for wisdom. And God gives generously without reproach. The problem becomes when you want God's wisdom without God in the picture. That's Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. So God promises, I will give wisdom if you ask. So what is the object of our faith in that scenario? When I go, God, give me wisdom. Is it how well I pray that? Is it how well I articulate that? Is it how loud and expressive I am and how serious? No, the object of my prayer is the words of God himself. He said it, that's what gives me faith. He promised, that's what makes me believe. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's a gracious, generous God. That is what gives me courage and confidence to pray this. So when you pray like Jesus, as you'll see in future episodes, you pray with faith. Prayer is to be done confidently. This is the last thing we'll look at today. And we'll take some questions at the end because I know we're ending a little early. These messages on prayer aren't supposed to load you up with so much that you can't do anything. They're just supposed to kickstart you into maybe changing, making a few changes in your prayer life. So praying like Jesus means praying in faith and praying confidently. Now, this is where people kind of have issue with confidence because they go, well, you don't want to presuppose and presume and come with God and some pride. I, I get that, Jimmy John. But at the same time, you can have confidence without pride. And some people conflate confidence with pride and they go, well, if he's confident, he's prideful. No, you can be very confident in what your God is capable of 
and you yourself are absolutely humbly submitted and yielded and you recognize your lowliest state without him and you can operate in a confidence like David where he looks at Goliath and goes, today the birds are going to eat your flesh. The arrogance, no, the confidence in his God. The confidence in his God. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Brothers, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, which the real spiritual temple of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what, what is the emphasis so far? What is the emphasis so far? The emphasis is on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He has shed his blood. He has gone into the true holy of holies for us. He has opened a new and living way into the presence of God through his own flesh and death. He is a great high priest who is faithful over the house of God. Now, in light of all of that, let's draw near in prayer, in in whatever way you're approaching God, let's draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our confidence comes from knowing who Jesus is. My confidence to pray doesn't come from how well I performed this week. In other words, when I approach God in prayer, a lot of us, sometimes our confidence level is based on how holy we've been living. And our confidence to pray and come to God is based on how well I've been resisting sin and how well I've been evangelizing and how well I've been reading my Bible. And now my performance is the reason for any degree of confidence I have to pray. And that's just a wrong and unbiblical way of approaching prayer. I do believe that one's life will influence whether or not their prayers get answered because it influences the kind of prayers they pray, but that's not for today. What I will say is this, we should be confident in who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's promised, what he's said, everything he's he's going to do, everything regarding God is the reason I'm confidently able to pray. And a lot of us lack confidence, not because we're not living holy enough, but because we simply don't know who Jesus is. We don't know him well enough yet to have the kind of confidence where I go, even though I just messed up and sinned, I have confidence to repent of this and I know that you accept me and I know that you forgive and I know that you redeem. I can have that confidence, not because before that sin I was really living holy, but because of who you are and what you've done. So confidence has should have nothing to do with how much I have succeeded in life or how much I know and how much I've, you know, my, my, my philosophical concepts and my evangelism, none of that, my ability to teach and gather and build churches, none of that should affect my confidence to approach God because the reason I can stand before him has nothing to do with that. The reason I can stand before him in confidence and pray knowing he listens, he regards me, he accepts me as a child is because of what his son has done for me. That's the only legitimate reason for confidence. It's what he has done. What he has done. So again, there is a degree 
in which sometimes my lifestyle does affect the mentality I bring to prayer or the prayers that I'm praying and therefore whether or not they'll be answered. But at the end of the day, you don't stand before the living God accepted and forgiven and justified and holy and redeemed because of anything you've done. You've simply taken God at his word. You've believed. You've trusted in Jesus. You've received the gospel and taken that as your only hope and means of forgiveness. That's why. God allows you to be there. He graciously allows us to have access to him through his son. So don't conflate obedience with my reason for confidence in prayer. Those two are not the same. You can follow the law all you want. You can be as holy in lifestyle as you want. And I say be holy. Be perfect as he is perfect. Pursue the standard that he's given us to pursue. But never let, never think like the self-righteous Pharisee in Luke 18. Never think, ah, God accepts me here and I'm able to pray and I can approach God and, and I'm able to s- sit here and talk to you because I X, Y, and Z. Has nothing to do with what you can bring to the table. It doesn't. And you and I need to learn how to disconnect my lifestyle from my identity because my lifestyle doesn't determine who I am. It's the opposite. God changes who I am. So that changes and translates into my lifestyle. Some of us have such misplaced confidence when we pray and you have not yet thought of it like this. You haven't had the vocabulary for it, but now you're going, that's exactly what I've been dealing with. You nailed it. And you're hearing me say this and you're going, that's me. That's me. When I pray, when I approach God, when like my confidence to be there is based on how well I've been doing. And what you're saying is somehow, in, 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 in some sense, you're saying that Jesus is not sufficient for me to be here something else has to be added to him for me to be appropriately confident to pray and approach God in prayer. And that's false. That's 100% false. Ephesians 2, it says, through him, through what? Through your ability, through your knowledge, through your education, through your gifts, through your performance and holiness. No, through him. Who's that? Jesus. We both, Gentile and Jew, We both have access in one spirit to the Father. How do we have access? This is not just about prayer, fellas, lady fellas. This is not just about prayer. This is about having a living, abiding relationship with God. This is about being reunited with the Father. This is about having a connection to God that was severed by sin. And now that connection has been been fixed. You now have a living, abiding relationship with God. You have access to the Father. He dwells in you. You dwell in Him. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. How? How? Through what the Son has done. And the Spirit of God inside of us not only testifies to our sonship, but He's the one 
who reminds us of our confidence to pray, even when all we feel is shame, even when all we feel is condemnation, and I'm bringing all my baggage from my past into my prayer time, and all I'm thinking about is the mistakes I made this week and how I promised I wouldn't go back to that, and, and I told my wife I'd change, and, I, and I'm lying behind her back or what have you, and all that stuff is plaguing my mind as I'm just trying to pray. And, and you have to sift through all that trash to get to the place where you can actually talk with God and enjoy fellowship with Him. And I'm telling you, it starts with taking the confidence that you've placed in yourself and putting it back onto Jesus. The last passage is this. It's Hebrews 4.16. It says this. Let us then with confidence. Do you see the theme? confidence, boldness, assurance, faith, but it's balanced with humility. Be careful not to take the confidence to such an unhealthy extreme that you arrogantly presume upon the grace of God like you deserve it, like you're entitled, like he should let you be there. That's that's garbage. You don't deserve to be there. We're not entitled. It's a gift of his grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need this is not just referring to salvation and faith in Christ for the first time this is talking about the daily throwing yourself down at the feet of Jesus desperate for his guidance his wisdom his help his spirit and saying I need help to break this addiction I need help to be a better husband I need help to stop looking at that and watching that. I need help. I need mercy and grace. And you balance that desperation with a confident assurance that he's going to answer. Not because you deserve it, not because you're entitled, not because you've lived holy enough to have earned it, but because he who promised is faithful, like Joshua says. He sees right through. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows the shame and condemnation that are plaguing your heart and mind. And you haven't told anyone about it. He knows it all. But will you confidently approach his throne even when you look at your own life and go, this is such a mess? Will you maintain confidence that comes from Jesus alone and what he's done for you? He died your death. He paid for your sins. He came down into our world to take on human flesh and deal with human evil. He was, his flesh was beaten and battered and punished in our place so that human evil was condemned. He died in our place. He resurrected in our place. He conquered death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He lived perfectly, never made a mistake, resisted temptation in the strongest form possible. That, all of that, who he is, he's righteous, he's holy, he's blameless. Everything he is, everything he's promised, everything he's done, that's my object of confidence to stand in prayer and approach God with assurance. I'm not bold because of A, B, and C. I'm bold because of Jesus. I'm not bold because of anything I can bring to the table. I'm bold because he's enough. Even in the midst of my failures, even in the midst of the season of struggle and fighting and continuing to repent and change my mind, and yet I go back, even in the midst of that. And we'll talk about the balance of, of holiness and obedience and how it relates to prayer in future episodes. For now, just, just because I'm not touching on it doesn't mean it's not important. That There's an entire message dedicated to that. Now is not the time.
So in conclusion, if you're going to change the way you approach prayer and view prayer, do these four things. Pray like God's opinion is the only thing that matters. Pray like only God's opinion matters. Number two, pray like God knows before you ask what you need. Pray like you trust God. Number three, in faith. And then pray in that faith and confidence. Number four. And all of this is centrally focused around Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And I, and I promise something is going to shift in your prayer life when the object of your attention is God himself and what he's promised. And that's what's going on through your mind. And again, when you pray in such a way where you're not mindful of your mistakes and they're not you know, filling your mind, you're just thinking of how good he is. It really brings an enjoyment to prayer, the kind of enjoyment that makes you not want to leave. So that's what I desire for you. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans. Pray like Jesus, and you'll see a tremendously different life experience than you are now. Thank you, Pack Attack, for that gift. And I do want to take a few questions in closing because we ended a little, you know, early. Um, so bring your questions in. And while you do, while I have your attention, if you guys didn't already know this, this is Above Reproach Ministry. And you can find everything that you need in life. I'm just kidding. Just anything relating to the ministry at AboveReproachMinistry.com. Um, you can find our free online Bible study courses. If you want to learn how to read the Bible, learn how to study the Bible, take your Bible study to a new level, um, check out our free online Bible study courses. They're online. They're self-paced. We have a 40-day you know, Bible study course, a 27-day and 11-day. We have a ton of free stuff. We have devotional studies. We have the skills courses. We have Bible study worksheets, all of my sermon notes, all these live streams and teachings, the podcast, which, by the way, we have a podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll find Above Reproach Ministry if you want to listen to these rather than see my ugly face. We also have a second podcast, Above Reproach Church Podcast for the local church. I also have a book. It's titled Fruitful. I wrote it about a year and a half ago. And this book is really designed to lead you into the most abundant, satisfying Christian life this side of heaven by giving you three essential keys. We're talking about your purpose, your position, and the process God has you th to bring you through. And then... Um, yeah, if you want to join our online church, that's on the Discord app. I didn't name the app. Okay, don't get mad at me if it says Discord. But the app is called Discord. You can join our online church. We have gatherings and um, all kinds of things going, out, going on in there. If you're looking for a church or an online community to join full of believers. And then the last thing is if you'd like to support what God is doing here. Um, I have a wife and two kids. We live in South Carolina now. And um, this whole ministry, everything that we create, all the resources, all the teachings, all the curriculums, all the courses, they're completely free because of generous supporters like you guys. And so thank you guys for making this possible. You can get some merch or some online digital products to support us, or you can donate right here, um, abovereproachministry.com slash donate. Click the donate tab at the top, and then you can give uh, through debit or credit card here or send a check. Uh, give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. If you really believe in what the Lord is doing through this ministry and you want to help us continue creating resources for everyone around the planet completely free, become a monthly supporter on Patreon. There are some cool perks and benefits to that when you do sign up. So that's all I can think of saying. Hit the courses, uh, the online church, 
the website. Oh, by the way, if you're a new believer, there's a new area on the website for new believers. And um, let's say you just you know reawakened your faith in Christ, or you just came back to God, or you just decided to take your faith seriously, or you're just a new Christian in general. Um, go to our website, AboveReproachMinistry.com. All those links are in the description below on the YouTube video. Uh, click New Believer right here. Bingo, bango. And then it will take you to all the things um, that we believe will be of value to you, whether they're physical um, you know, resources or online teachings we've done that are fundamental, foundational, um, or Bible study resources or church resources. Go check that out if you're a New Believer. And um, any questions before we... Someone said, hey, can you repeat the four ways to pray that you just stated? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Pray like only God's opinion matters. Pray like God knows before you ask. Uh, Pray like you trust God and pray in faith and confidence. What I'll do is I'll just blow it up on my screen so you can see it. Um, And by the way, these notes... This whole sermon outline is uh, available for download in the description below if you just want to take these notes and, and meditate on them or read them yourself or customize them or use them for teaching or Bible study. Um, right here, pray like God's opinion matters, not like the hypocrites. Pray like he knows before you ask, not like the unbelievers. Pray like you trust God, not in your words, and pray in faith and confidence that's rooted in God's character. And if you still can't see that, open your desktop. Don't watch on your phone. Um, all right, let's see what we got. I'm looking at the questions now. Um, hmm, 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 hmm. Uh, Leon said, Don't let your mom hear you say you're ugly. It's okay, She's, she reminds me of that every day. I'm just kidding, she doesn't. She's a good mommy. Because you're my beautiful boy. No, I'm not. Amazing. If I, uh, God bless you guys. Bennett says your Florida fan misses you. I was, I was just there. I missed you. I wish, I really wish you could have been there. But I know um, you probably had some amazingly sweet time with your bride. Miss you, bro. Miss our Saturday studies. Um, hmm. Well, I don't have, I don't see any questions except a question about the rapture, which uh, I'll give you guys a sneak peek into what I'm doing behind the scenes. Um, ever since the videos I've done on the rapture just kind of took off, there's been a clear sense that people are hungry to know really what the future is going to look like for believers. Um, so I'm putting a study together where I'll answer questions like that. Um, Everything about the rapture and what I've gathered and studies I've done. My my encouragement to people who want to know about Matthew 24 or Revelation, go read um, The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, a Jewish historian that actually lived in the time of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. You will get a lot out of that. And I encourage you to read Matthew 24, uh, Luke's parallel to that section, like the Gospel of Luke. Um, I forget where in Luke he talks about the destruction and the abomination of desolation, but read those passages 
read Revelation as you go through the Wars of the Jews by Josephus. This is a historian who's just recounting what took place historically in Jerusalem when Rome came in and destroyed the temple. There's a lot that I'm having to process and put together, so I will have a study put together soon. Soon, like the way Jesus says soon. I'll be back soon. Like, I don't know when, but soon. (laughs) So... All right. Leandra, does God consider others involved when he answers a prayer? I'd say so, yeah. I mean, even us as finite, uh, you know, imperfect beings, we're mindful sometimes of how our prayers being answered might affect our family or those in our neighborhoods. How much more does God see the infinite connections that will, or the infinite ways in which your answered prayer will touch humanity. I'd say absolutely. Um, Brad says, if God knows our prayer, why do we pray? Just want to get this clarified for new believers. Yeah, Brad. um, Good to see you, bro. I answered this in, I want to say, episode two. It might have been three of prayer. I would encourage you to watch... Um, if you haven't already, I know you got some time on your hands. So if you have already watched the last three episodes on prayer, episode two, three, and four, um, and you still have that question, I'll answer that. I'll think about that a little more and send you some thoughts, but really what I'm, what I would say, I've already said in those three teachings in depth and it would take a lot more time, but the the very simple answer, Brad, that you can give to new believers is that, um, God has determined prayer to be the method of causing certain things in our world and in our life that won't happen without prayer. It doesn't make him weak. It doesn't make him finite. It doesn't make him dependent on us. It means he has sovereignly determined there are certain things that won't happen um, without prayer. There are so many examples in scripture that I gave in the last few episodes that I think would be helpful in understanding that. And again, that doesn't mean God's hands are tied or he's limited. His plan's going to move forward. He's going to do what he wants. Even if those things don't happen, even if those prayers don't end up being voiced so he could answer those prayers, his main plan to redeem creation and bring in a new heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, that's still going to happen no matter what. Um, So yeah, that's how I would answer that. And I I give a lot of examples in those few messages. I, I think it was episode three and four, if I remember correctly, but watch two, three, and four of this series to get a better understanding of where I'm at. With that, it's just really cool. Prayer becomes a way in which things happen to cause an effect. Um, If God knows our prayer, why do we pray? Yeah. I I think I answered this in in the last one too. Someone asked that exact thing, Brad, and and I would say um, that It's so that God gets more glory from me having been a part of that process. Meaning, um, when you actually make the request and then God answers, even though he knows you needed that before you asked, you get to, it's, it's a, not only do you know God better and you appreciate him more and you, you love him more and, and, and you glorify him more, but all those things like happen because 
you see his answer as a direct response to your prayer request. Like Melchizedek says, not not the Melchizedek from the Bible just casually sitting in our chat, but Melchizedek, sorry, silver mouse, my, my, my bad, my bad. Melchizedek says, uh, I was ready to answer my people. That's what the Lord says so many times. I was ready to answer. I was waiting. It's like God knew what they needed, but they didn't want it. They didn't reach out for it. They didn't ask, and God won't force himself and violate the free will of the individual. Um, so... Um, that's all we'll tackle today. We might do a Q&A tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. I've been gone for six days, technically. Um, so I will do my best to gather myself and figure out what this week has in store. But as far as I know, I'm going to try to do a Q&A tomorrow. So, um, I mean, you'll know by tonight in the, uh, announcements on the YouTube channel. Stay updated with those, by the way. Make sure you guys hit the notifications bell and so you know when videos come out, when I post to make an announcement to you guys. Um, hello from Kentucky. Could you end with your favorite prayer? Yeah, I would love to. Um, man, can I do this real quick? Can I show you guys my favorite thing to pray? Um, hold on. And we'll get to this portion in the prayer series when we do. You guys can see it. You can't even read it. Um, I think this is the one. Yeah, this... As soon as you said that, you said, what's your favorite prayer? I thought this one for sure. Um, I voice this in every prayer. Um... Because it's not even a prayer. It's something that I have chosen to remind myself of as I pray. Um, was it Isaiah 47? Maybe it was 41. Hold on one sec. What? Hold on. Yeah. 17, my bad. This right here. I pray this all the time. It's just, it's a way of reminding myself who I'm talking to more than anything. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? What likeness compare with him? I just remind, I, and what I'll do is I just, I, I, I pray that to God. I say, Lord, all the nations are as nothing to you. All the nations that assemble themselves and try and gather to conspire and bring you down and stop your plan, they're a drop in the bucket. They're nothing before you. They're accounted to you as less than nothing. Emptiness. That's how strong, that's how big, that's how sovereign you are. To whom then will we liken you to? What can we, what likeness compare you with? Um, there's no one like you. That's, that's, a, that's a prayer that I love praying, just to remind myself who I'm talking to. So, in fact, we'll just end in prayer and then get out of here. Father, you, you really are the one um, who regards the nations as nothing. And yet you care so deeply for every single individual in that nation. But, man, they're accounted as nothing in terms of they can't stop you. You're sovereign over all the nations. You put in power who you want. And that's just amazing. 
that you have that kind of power, omniscient sovereignty, that you would say the nations and everything they try and do to conspire against you, it's, it's less than nothing. God, who is like you? There's no one. There's, there's no God like you. There's no God beside you. That's why we come before you to worship you and, and learn about you. And, and we want to live appropriately. We want to see you clearer. Please correct our perspective. Please help us to view you appropriately. Love you more. Pray more accurately. And I thank you for this time, Father. I pray you'd not just bless your people, um, but man, would you please solidify this truth in their heart that they would know what to do, that they would change the way they think of prayer and the way they approach you, Father. For the sake of your children and their joy in prayer, would you just um, let this seed fall on really good soil. I pray that they would be receptive. You would help them to be focused and aware and thinking all day about how they can change and apply these things to their life. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, that you allow us to talk to you. It's a privilege we we just don't understand. We don't understand how much of a privilege it is and honor that you regard our prayers, that you consider us. Like David says in the Psalms, Lord, what is man that you're mindful of us? That's how we feel. Why do you have attention towards us? You don't have to. So I pray you'd help your people to walk in boldness and confidence today. I pray that things would shift in their thinking and prayer life. I ask these things, and I, and I believe in faith that you'll do them. I really know that you're at work. I'm not doubting. Um, I can't wait to see how you work and what fruit you bear in their life. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things for your glory. Father, amen. 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 All right, guys. I'll see you guys possibly tomorrow. If not, then for sure, Lord willing, Monday. All right. Bye.